We, uh, we started through the book of Matthew, or we started a while back, and we got to this, this message, a sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as we started into this, realized that, that as he begins his message, he's really laying the foundations for all these three chapters that he's preaching, and he's doing that in the beginning in, in what we've come to call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are these, are these eight commands, the first four having to do with our relationship, our vertical relationship with God, and then the last four having to do with our horizontal relationships with each other. And, and we talked last week about uh, how the similarities between that and the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, that first was that relationship with God and then the relationship with other people. So we, we, we kind of looked at that, and in doing that, I've, we've read each Sunday the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, and again, my goal is going to be by the time we get through these Beatitudes, which is coming up quickly, that uh, you're going to kind of know this by heart. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to fit in there. So Craig's going to hit uh, Matthew chapter 5. Stand with me this morning one more time. And read with me. By the way, I just want to tell you, uh, first service this morning kind of got into it. You have really been beating them on the reading scale, but, uh, but they're, they're, they're picking up on it. So read with me. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, Father... May your Holy Spirit take the word of God, which is Holy Spirit breathed and Holy Spirit inspired, and you be our teacher this morning, Lord, as, we, as your word finds fertile soil in our hearts and minds. In Christ we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today we're taking a look at this uh, sixth beatitude. Somebody said that the attitudes determine our altitude uh, when our walk with the Lord. But the sixth one here in verse 8 Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. And it's a, this call to purity. Now, one of the definitions of the, the word pure here, the meaning is to cleanse one's minds and one's emotion. Scholars, and when I say that, you'll know that I'm talking about somebody besides myself. Scholars say that there's really two meanings to this word that's given in verse 8. The first one is to make pure by cleansing from, from dirt or from filth. Are contaminations, and it's, and it's used when we're talking about purifying ore, purifying, uh, refining gold, or refining silver. And the second definition is one of having no uh, dual 
or double allegiance there. No, no. And to the ancient Greeks, it meant straightness, honesty, clarity. Warren Wiersbe, in commenting on this verse, and I love Wiersbe, Wiersbe said, it's the basic ideal is of integrity and singleness of heart. And indeed, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would say just a little bit later in the sermon, Matthew 6, 24, he says, for no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in the world, is, is what he's saying. So this morning, when I, as I was reading this, and when I read, always when I would read verse 8, before when I think of blessed are the poor in heart, the first thought that comes to my mind is of Psalms 24. In that first part of that chapter, uh, in the 24th Psalms, uh, when he says, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. For he is founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Now, when I read, this is what the verse that comes to my mind. And when I thought about that, I, I, I got a title for the message this morning. It's pure inside and outside. Clean hands and a pure heart. Those of many of you have heard me talk about my grandmother, uh, Miss May Kelly. We called her Mossy. One of the grandkids named her Mossy. And so she became Mossy May from then on. And Mossy had this saying, she would, uh, oftentimes she would see somebody and she'd say, well, they're pretty on the inside and out. And she was referring to not only were they physically attractive or handsome, but that, that came from her inner spirit. That was beautiful because of their love for the Lord and their, uh, the, the humility that flowed from that. So in, in honor of Mossy, pretty on the inside and out, I'm, this morning the message is pure on the inside and out. Clean on the, on, the, on the inside, not just the outside, not just when people are watching. remember reading an article in, a, in an old um, Daily Bread, Daily Bread, and it was about a, a father and a son that were riding one day, and they were riding down a country road. And uh, they passed, as, they, as they're going down the road, they passed this watermelon patch. It was just off the road, a piece. And he could see it, and they could see the watermelons laying there. They were, it was, they were ripe. The vines had started dying, so the, the melons was ripe. And the daddy pulled off the side of the road, and his son said, Daddy, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to get us one of those melons. He said, you watch. You look out. So the daddy slipped over into the patch and he had a big melon and he hollered back to his son and he said, son, look, be sure nobody's coming. Look both ways. And the little boy hollered back and said, daddy, shouldn't I look up too? Ah, so sometimes the lessons that we are teaching our kids is, you know, we need to be careful because we want to be clean on the inside as well as the outside. Now, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were great at outward purity. They were the uh, religious leaders, and you're, you're aware they're the ones that had expounded and expanded this, this uh, list of do's and don'ts. If you want to go to heaven, you got to do this, and you don't do that. If you want to be pure, you do this. You don't do that. You don't do that, and you don't do that, but you do this. And the Pharisees thought that they're, by, by their religious acts and performing their religious acts religiously, made them pure, but they were wrong. They were wrong. Today, there's still a lot of people around with the belief style and thinking the same way 
that the Pharisees thought. They think that there, that there are many religious things that they do is going to make them pure. But just like the Pharisees, they're wrong. It don't happen that way. And I, and I know we spend so much time on the outside, you know, making the outside look good. Uh, when it's the inside that God really focuses on. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Remember, Samuel is coming to anoint one of Jesse's sons king. And he, he looks at Eliab and he looks at these others and, and, and he looked and he says, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks where? On the outward appearance. But the Lord looks where? On the heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the hearts. That's, that's convinced that's why Jesus, as he was laying the, the foundation of this message, that Jesus didn't say, blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. Instead, he says, and it's very important, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. For it's not just on the outward of that which others can see, but it's that which is within, where God looks. As we look at this, we talk about our heart. We're using, uh, here it's used to, to refer to that, um, to who we really are. That is like the command center inside each of us that, that controls and directs our, our thinking and our emotions and our will. Matter of fact, scripture has a lot of references to it. Psalms 27, 19 says, as water, as in water face, you can see your reflection in water. So the heart reveals who we really are, not just our outward, but the heart reflects who we are. Uh, Proverbs 4 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And then in Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah understood that as we, as we strive for a pure heart, <coughs> excuse me, that the heart can be deceptive and it can be deceptively wicked. Billy Graham in one of his messages one time as he was talking about the sins uh, uh, and that we were dealing with. And he said the, the sins of the world really can be summed up in, in one main problem, the disease of the world. And he said our basic problem isn't a race problem. He said the problem, the basic problem isn't an economic problem or a, a prosperity problem. Today, we could even say, we, we, Jeff shared about the prayer of what's going on in Orlando, what's happening in the Middle East and around the world. And we could say, the basic problem of the world is not a terrorist problem. Billy Graham said this. He said, our basic problem is what? A heart problem. It's a heart problem. You see, the problem of sin is not that the world around us is so contaminated. It's that which is within us. We don't sin because of our surroundings. We sin because of what's in our heart. And we need to come to terms with that. We need to come to, 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 to understand what we're dealing with when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I know there's some will say, but I'm not, I'm not all bad. 
I'm not all bad. I ran across uh, this called the Schopenhauer's Law of Entropy. Now, I never heard a name before this, but this is what it says. It says, if you put a spoonful of wine in a barrel full of sewage, you get sewage. If you put a spoonful of sewage in a barrel of wine, you still get sewage. (laughs) Scriptures warn us of the danger of even a little sin kept tucked away in our hearts. We've come so, become so comfortable with, we've dealt with the big issues, you know, I'm not a murderer, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. And we just keep this little sin harbored and tucked away, and we're warned over and over and over of the dangers. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Last week, we were talking about being merciful, and just as we went to Luke 10 with the story of the Samaritan, and I, and I gave us kind of a... a some help there of, of, of how do we become more merciful. Remember we talked about the seeing with, with God's eyes, praying, Lord, let me see like you see. Lord, let me feel what you feel. What does God feel when, his, when he sees what's going on around us? And then we talked about when we see with, as God sees and feel as he feels, then letting that move us to respond to actions. And we talked about what that looked like, being merciful as materially and uh, emotionally and even spiritually. Well, even with that today, I want to I want to leave us with something that um, that can help us with this pure heart. How do we how do we guard the purity of my heart? Now, understand this: Scripture is plain. If Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says, "Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold." All things are become new. Ezekiel 26, uh, 36, 26. I'm going to get me a hickey dodger here. It says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He's saying that he's going to give us a heart that's, that's sensitive, that can feel, can sense and respond to the, the spirit of God. Oftentimes. I catch my, as, as, as I'll be praying for someone, and, uh, and especially when I prayed with Jim before he left and, and others, and, 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 I, and I find myself praying, Lord, keep them sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And, 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 and what I'm praying is, is that we want to be able to hear him. And when God speaks, to know it's God speaking. And one of the things that, I, that has helped me over the years, and I, I think this is something I picked up at a Gothar conference one time a long time ago, about hearing the voice of God is that it is so important when we hear God speaking and we know God speaking. Now, if you don't know it's God, it's okay, Scripture's plain. Try the spirits and know them. But once we know it's God telling us to do something or not do it, then to obey quickly. Because the longer we delay, the more time and the more room that gives the enemy to convince us that it's not God. So we need to respond quickly once we know it's God. And here, uh, the scriptures that tell us that we need, and our, as, as far as our hearts being clean, David prayed that God in, in, in Psalm 51, he said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. When, it, when the, he had sinned and when he was confronted with his sin, he prays this prayer of repentance. Nathan prayed that God would give a gift of repentance to those this morning as we hear his word. 
And he says, create this clean heart in me and, and, and let me have the right spirit back in me. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to go there with me. And I want to I kind of lay out some things here uh, in conclusion about how do, we, how do we walk out this relationship. And that's what it is. It's a relationship of pure heart before God. Hebrews 12, I think the first three verses. You'll have to excuse me. I've got a raspy, raspy hickey dodger here. Um, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, he's, he's referring to the, to the chapter 11 of Hebrews is a great list of men and women of God and the exploits that they have done, men and women of faith. He says, seeing we're surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, I've asked, uh, I've asked Craig, I said, I want him to put this up in the New Living Translation too. While he's putting it up, I'm going to check the water fountain here. Hang on a second. Put it up there in New Living, Craig. I apologize. I always hated it when preachers drunk in front of me. Made me thirsty. But this, uh, this, you. I want to give you some, I want to, I want to, I think this scriptures, and I want to kind of highlight some key, I don't know what, maybe some, some key tools. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd, crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the living says, <clears throat> let us strip off every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up, us up. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is that we need to lay aside, lay aside anything that is hindering us, lay aside anything that is causing us to stumble. Whatever, what's that sin in your life? And we need to realize what that is. We need to fight the temptation of that. Janice, uh, I call her Schwartz, it's Janice Schwartzberg. I call her Schwarzenegger. I call her everything. But she said something this week that was so profound to me. And, uh, and here, I, I was probably eating something, might not have been the most healthy thing in the world, I don't know, but I was probably eating something at the time, and she, she was telling me about how that she was, uh, that, uh, and uh, you know, she's one of these, she's helping that thing. So she said she was going to the supermarket, and she saw the, the, the donuts right here, Krispy Kreme or whatever it was, and she just said, Lord, help me, and she went wrong by. And I said, and, and it just so, she was telling me this, and uh, listen, it's one of those things that, I understood, I just needed help doing it. I said, you realize what, what you did? You let the source of the temptation, those donuts there, you let the source of the temptations, rather than focusing on the temptation, you let them make you turn to the source of the help with the temptation. So when you were tempted with that, you immediately said, Lord, help me, and you went on. So we need to learn to lay aside that, that uh, sin and realize the, the cost of that sin. Now, donuts, just a few, few calories. But the sin in our lives, what it cost the Lord Jesus in his blood, in his love. 
And we need to fight that temptation and then we need to put it behind us. We need to remove, in other words, one translation said we need to remove the obstacles, weights, and excuses and follow God in our life. Get rid of the obstacles, the weights, and the excuses and follow God. I read, a, read a, a, an account, it's true, read an account uh, of, a, of a couple in Bakersfield, California. They had, they had bought, they, they'd, they'd always wanted to own a boat. They'd never owned a boat. They loved it, and they, they decided they, if they had a boat, they could enjoy the lake. They bought a new boat, and they put it in the water. But the boat didn't, didn't, it didn't do what they thought it was supposed to be doing. Matter of fact, they couldn't get the boat to, to go hardly at all. So they puttered up to the, the marina. And, they, and the, man, the, the marina man came out, and they told him, they said, that we, it's a brand-new boat. We bought it. And we can't, we can't get it to do anything. It won't go. And so the man at the marina, he checked it out. The, 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 the motor worked good. The prop was of the proper size and everything. They couldn't find anything above waterline that was, that was the problem. So one of the guys from the marina said, let me check underneath. So he went into the water and he came back up sputtering and almost drowned him because he was laughing underwater. They were still strapped to the trailer. <laughs> Nobody told them you were supposed to unstrap the trailer. They just unhitched the trailer and put the whole thing in. It, it sounds so ridiculous, and it's true. And I, and I, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You know, maybe in Blairsville, but, but, but Bakersfield. And then when I read Bakersfield, I understood. But this is what, this is what spoke to me. It is, we think that's, it is, it's totally ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. But how many times, how many of us are trying to live the Christian life, we're trying to get up to speed, man. We're trying to get up there and get, what do they call that when you get just riding the, right on top of the water? Huh? Plane out, right? Is it plane? You get up there, you, you trim something, you do something, but you're just, it's smooth right there, right? We're, that's where, we know that's where we need to be. And, and we got the right power source. We've got the right tools and equipment and we can't do it. And it may just be possible that it's the sin that's under the surface that we're still attached to. We need to lay it aside, man. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Second thing we need to do is not only that, he says, and let us run with endurance. That endurance means patience. It means don't quit. Hang in there. What we've all heard is said that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. Sometimes it's a cross country. Sometimes it's the high hurdles. It's all kinds of these things. We need to run with endurance. Look Now look at this. The race that God has set before us. Listen, I, I really believe that God, Scripture teaches that God has a plan for each of our lives. He has a plan for us to, to know his son Jesus. And he wants to do in us and through us, make us... Because he wants to spend eternity with us. And listen to me. Part of, I believe part of our relationship down here is, is, is learning. If you read Paul Bilheimer's book, Destined for the Throne. He, was talk, he, he talks about the things that we learn down here that in eternity are, gonna, you know, are, are just completion there. So he wants us, whatever that is in your life. There may be things in your life that, uh, that Tim don't have to deal with. Or that Rich don't. Or that Jerry doesn't. Or that uh, Jim doesn't. 
You have your race, you have your course, you have the things that, you, that God is allowing into your life, but he wants us to run that patiently. He wants us to run that with endurance, laying aside those things that are tripping us up, laying aside any excuses we've got. And then thirdly, I want you to know what it says. Keep the next verse there, flip, flip it, Craig. He says, and we do this by keeping what? Our eyes on Jesus. Wow. The champion. Ah, who initiates and perfects our faith. Um, it's, it's, I grew up, dad loved to garden. Uh, my dad was, uh, and, and he, and then when I married Barbie's father, daddy and dad and my father-in-law loved to come, you know, they, they just had this competition there. They loved to garden. Both of them did. And, uh, and I guess that's where I get maybe my, some of my love of gardening. But then Mossy May, I remember just a kid, and Mossy May always gardened. And this is growing up in the 50s, you know, in the early 60s. And Mossy May would say, we'd say, Mossy, why did your granddaddy put in such a big garden? And he can't, because if the communists take over, at least we'll have food to eat. <laughs> and she believed that. She, she can and practice that way. We still do that. Yeah, yeah, Barbie and I, we catch ourselves. I've cut back this year. I've only got two and a half gardens. But, but dad gardened, and, and, I, and I asked Ed one day, I said, how do you lay off such straight rows? How do you lay off such straight rows? And he said to me, he said, son, he said, the key to laying off a straight row is you pick something at the end of the, at the, end of the field, and you keep your eyes on it. And no matter how much you're tempted to look down, or no matter how much you're tempted to look back and see how, how straight you've been, if you do that, you'll mess up. But he said, as long as you keep your eyes on that, on that focal point, huh? Landmark. So, it can be a clod. It can be a rock. It can be a stick. If you keep your eyes on that, he said, keep your eyes on it. He said, when you get to the end of the row, then look back and you can, you can lay off a straight row. Now, that lesson, so true in the garden, but it's so real in life. It's so real in life. Along the way, Oftentimes, you remember Peter, he did all right when he walked on the water, as long as he kept his eyes were on Jesus. But when he looked down, he saw the storms around him and he looked down, what happened? Like a rock, man, like a rock. And sometimes we want to, if we aren't careful, we'll want to look back and see how we're doing. And when we do, we're going to mess up. Lay aside those sins, lay aside those obstacles, lay aside that excuses. Run with endurance, keeping, this is the third thing, Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep it looking at him, man. He's the champion. Keep our eyes on the end of the line, on the, on, the, on the end. You know, eternity. When we get with him, then we can take, you know, then we can look around. But keep our eyes on him. Finally, the fourth thing. Look at this, though. I want you to see it. Keep our eyes looking, on, looking to Jesus. See what he went through. Now look at the next verse. And he said, Think of all the hostilities Jesus endured from sinful people. And the, the, the final thing is, remember Jesus when you want to quit. He says, think of all that he endured, then you won't become weary and give up. What is he saying to us here in Hebrews? He said, hey, there's going to come a time when you're going to feel like giving up. Anybody ever been there? There's going to be a time when you say, hey, I didn't join up for all this, man. When I became a Christian, you didn't tell me it's going to be all this. Yeah. I didn't sign up for the persecution. I didn't sign up for the, uh, you know, and, and I'm supposed to keep a good attitude, man. I'm supposed to forgive them, all this stuff. You yeah, know, come on. He says, there's going to come a time, there's going to come a time when we're all going to get weary. 
And we're all going to think about, forget it, man. I'll just, I'll just read my Bible, pray at home, and be here. You know? I, right before I got fired from coaching. <laughs> and just laugh. If, 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 if you've never, if you've coached long, you probably got fired. But right before I got fired from coaching, one of the parents, God bless her, one of the parents probably knew something that I didn't know, okay, gave me a book. And the title of the book was, was I promise you, it's hard to soar with the eagles when you run with the buzzards. <laughs> and I remember, I remember looking at that book and thinking, man, that's pretty interesting. I was soaring with the eagles. <laughs> it was just a few months later that buzzards were all around. But I thought of that book. Look into Jesus. Lay aside all those weights. Lay aside the obstacles. Lay aside the excuses. Run with endurance. Keeping our eyes on him. And remember Jesus when you want to quit and you want to give up. Now, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom. That ain't what it says, is it? What? For they shall see God. Now, I used to read this, and I'd think, well, man, it's talking about poor, the, the poor in heart, for they're going to see God. They're going to see him in heaven. But as I, as I was reading it and looking at this, I'm, I'm convinced it's far more than that. Shall see here is the verb shall see. I'm going to have to go back to it. What does it say? Bless our appearance for heart, for they shall see God. All right, shall see is in future indicative tense. Now, what does that mean? It means something basically like this. That the people with a pure heart will be continually seeing God at work, not only in them, but around them. Think about that. We see his grace. We see his goodness. We see his love. We see this, this, uh, this un, you know, this, um, I couldn't think about that. What, what, what do you call a love that you don't earn it, you don't deserve it? I call it agape, but there's no unconditional. That's the word. I, can't, I couldn't think of it last night. It's two, two Sundays in a row. The unconditional love of God that he loves us with. Blessed are the poor in heart. For, we're gonna, for you're gonna, you should be able to see, you're going to see God around you at work, man, all the time. Working in our families, working in our situations, working in, working in all things around us so that we can see. Let me, let me close with an example. It's a true story. Um, it's a little bit old. Happened in 1982 when the story was, was made public. But it's the story of, of a lady. I'm going to call her Miss Annie May. That was her first name. Her last name is spelled P-E-N-N-I-C-A. I read this and I thought, wow, that would be a good thing to end with. But I didn't know if it's true. I looked it up and sh- absolutely. I mean, it's sure enough that it was, I vetted it out. Anna May was born and um, the story was written in, in 1982. She was 62 years old then. Okay, so she was born in 1920, something like that. Uh, she was born blind. Now, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about somebody recently, I've had a conversation with somebody talking about how if we lose our hearing or if we lose our sense of smell, sometimes we lose our, our mobility. But boy, to, to lose your vision, what a loss that is to deal with. And I, and I think of my mom. My mom always, she, she, loves to, she loved to sew. She was a seamstress. Made clothes all the time, was sewing all the time. We, we, we always talked about it. She'd always had the kitchen table. Daddy made her a sewing room, and it got so full of materials, so she had her sewing machine in the kitchen table. You couldn't put mom off away from people in a sewing room. She was too social 
she needed to talk, okay? So here was a sewing machine on the, kitchen, on the dining room table. Mom loved to sew, but then mom, mom had this uh, uh, macular, I can't say that, but that's what, that thing with her eyes. So she, she was losing her eyesight. And there was a period of time when mom couldn't sew. She couldn't see to sew. And then, and then someone found this thing, and it was, like a, it was like a magnifying glass, and they put it on the sewing machine. And she could, she could sew again. And I remember how excited mom, mom was when she could sew again. Now, so I'm, I'm thinking, man, what this, this thing was sight. I get up every morning, I put drops in my eyes so I can see. I try to poke around until I can find, you know, so I get allergies and all this stuff. But Anna, Anna Mae had never seen, she had never seen the greens. I love looking at the mountains. Have you noticed up here, have you noticed the different hues of greens on the mountains? I mean, it's not just green, man. There, there's green, there'd be green over here, there's a lighter green over there, there's a darker green up here, there's a green that looks like it's blue. I mean, there's all these shades of green. There's different, there's different blues, all this stuff. We look at and see God's creation. She had never seen any of that. It was going to, she was going to a Braille class, and in a Braille class, she met a man who was there learning Braille, but he could see, and they met, fell in love. And so for the next 15 years of Anna Mae's life, her husband, her seeing husband, was her eyes. And he would explain, he would try to explain to her how a sunset looked. He would explain to her how different things looked, and, and he was her eyes. Then in 1961... A Dr. Thomas Pettit of Jules Stein Eye Institute in UCLA performed surgery on Miss Anna Mae's eye to, co- to correct this rare genital, uh, con- cataract condition that was, that was her eyes. And he, he, he gave her vision, got it, and, and the, the surgery was a success, and she could see for the first time. She's 62-year-old. Can you imagine? Uh, the article was telling about how that, that she, would, she would set up, she would get up early, because she didn't want the darkness. She would get up early so that she could see the light coming in. She would describe, and, and one of the things says that, that things were so much bigger than she could imagine. And there's so much more brilliant stuff than she never acknowledged. Matter of fact, her vision got to where it was 2030. She actually passed the driver's exam, okay? Now, it was awesome, but there was a, there was a sad part to the story that caught my attention. And that was this. The, 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 the sad part of this miracle is that Dr. Pettit said, that this surgery had been available for 40 years. For 40 years, she had continued living in total darkness when if she had only known of and had the surgery, it was, it, was being, it was being performed 40 years earlier. And I think about, oh man, yeah, that was mine. Oh, I hurt. Oh, you know, you could have seen. But then the application to where we are today. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Curing spiritual blindness, the, the technique for that has existed for hundreds, a couple thousand years. And the procedure is radical, but it's always 100% effective. When God opens our eyes and he gives us a new heart, and he gives us new eyes to see. He gives us, you know, he makes, a, he makes us a new creature. Blessed are the poor in heart. And, it, and, and the, the, it's available. We don't have to go around in spiritual darkness any longer. Any longer. For they shall see God. Are you seeing him all around you? 
seeing them in your life, seeing them in things going on. Now I want to share just a couple of things. If you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior this morning, you're like Anna Mae. You say, no, I'm not, I can see. I want to tell you, you're, you're blind. Scripture call it says that you're blinded spiritually. You may see the hues, but there is so much more that God wants you to see about him. And if you've never trusted him as Savior, he wants to come into your life and radically give you a different heart, give you a different perspective, give you a different way of thinking. He can do that. It's 100% effective, and it's for you today. Secondly, you may be here, and you may be like this couple from Bakersfield. You know, you may, you may know you've got, God's given you a clean heart, and you may know you're supposed to be up there planing on that water, man, but everything is slugging along, and you, no matter what you do, you can't, get a, you can't get that thing to go like it's supposed to. And it's just possible that God's wanting you to look and say what's underneath, and he's wanting to say to you, Hey, time to unstrap from the trailer, man. Time to, time to get up there and plane out with me. I don't know what that is. It's sore with me. Lay aside those obstacles, those things that trip us, and all the excuses. Run with endurance. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the champion. And remember how much he loves you. Let's pray. Father, today, what a... Wow, I, I know I think and to have sat there or stood there with the group that day as you spoke these words, completely different than any of the teaching we'd ever heard before and, and how that must have been. But Lord, we have the privilege of today as we open your word and your Holy Spirit opens your word to us that they didn't have. Jesus was there explaining, but you've given us the Holy Spirit now to open our eyes and let us see with your eyes. Feel with your heart. Lord, it's my prayer this morning, if there are those here that have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning would be a time when they say, hey, I, I know I need something, and I know I need someone, and I need Jesus. So I'm acknowledging my need of a, of a Savior, and I'm asking him to come into my life and save me. If that's you with our heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you just pray and say, God, come into my heart. I'm tired of trying to figure this out. God, I, I've been trying like the Pharisees maybe to do enough good stuff to get clean, to get pure enough for you to love and accept. Pastor, Jesus, uh, Pastor Jerry tells me this morning that Jesus has already done all that for me. All I need to do is receive the gift of forgiveness. So I'm asking you this morning, forgive me. Come into my life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd love to pray with you. Why don't you just raise your hand up and say, I pray that prayer, Pastor. Pray for me as I I get off this trailer, man, and I soar. Anyone? Hands? I see a hand over here. I see a hand back there. Other hands? I see a hand over here. Praise the Lord. Lord, thank you this morning for what you do in our lives. And it's not about what others see or don't see. It's about what you see. You see our hearts. So I thank you, and I praise you for these new sisters and brothers in the Lord. Now, Father, I would like to pray right now. If there are those here that your Holy Spirit, as we've went through the scriptures this morning together, that your Holy Spirit has just said, hey. And you put your finger right on this particular area of our life that people, other people around us may not even be aware of, but we know it's there. And you're saying to us, it's time 
to cut it loose. Let it go. Keep your eyes on me. Remember what I've done for you. If that's you, why don't you pray with me and say, God, I need to, your Holy Spirit has shown me, has convicted me of this area of sin. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, right now I lay it down before you. And I don't want to pick it back up. I will instead... I want to remember what Janice said. And when, I, when I'm faced with a temptation, I want to cry out to you and turn the other way. God, I want to lay it down. I want to run with endurance. I want to keep my eyes on you and I want to remember you all my days. If that's you and God's Holy Spirit speaking particularly to you and you know what he's speaking about and you're agreeing with him, I want to, I want to pray for you. Let me see your hand. Just raise it up and put it right back down. I see those hands. I see those hands. God sees them. God, it's not for me to see. It's not for anybody else here to see, but it's you. You see your hearts. God, every hand here is is an open door to their heart. You know that. You know our desire. We want to get up there on plane with you. In your name. Do it, Jesus. Do it. Remind us of it. We want to walk it out. We want to live it out. In your name. Amen.